0: Cryer Malt brings you the best local malt to make the best local beer. It also brings you this, Radio Brews News. I'm your host, Pete Mitchum, and on this episode, I'm joined by two co-hosts, one very special and the other even more very special. The first is my very dear and good friend, without whom I am nothing but a keyboard tapper with a drinking problem and to whom I am internally indebted for just about every aspect of my meagre life. It's Polly Award-winning beer writer and founder of Australian Brews News, Matt Kierkegaard. G'day, Matt.
1: Now, Prof, that's just taking the piss. Is that an improvement on last <laughs> Yes. Yes. Thank you very much, uh, Prof. Uh, that was uh, a little bit of overkill, but uh, w- glad to be back.
0: Uh, like beer, Matt, it's all about balance. So uh, there's there's the other half. Uh, Matt and I are honoured to be joined today by a very special guest in what I believe will be possibly the best series crossover episode since Mork and Mindy uh, met Laverne and Shirley. From Ale of a Time, would you please welcome Luke Robertson. G'day, Luke. Hello, how's it going? You're a little bit younger than us. Do so you remember either uh, either Mork or Mindy um,
2: or Laverne and Shirley? I think Mork and Mindy was on in New Zealand, but I'm not sure Laverne and Shirley ever was. Uh, but I used to watch Mork and Mindy in the mornings or in the afternoons when I was a kid.
1: Well, Laverne and Shirley was, was actually a spin-off from Happy Days, I believe.
0: Mork and Mindy was a spin off from Happy Days. Mork originally, from, um, if I remember correctly, Mork appeared um, in Happy Days and uh, his... His job was to take one human back to more to Ork, and he chose fonzie and fonzie said well i'm not just you know going to get what's it's going to be like a fight to to see if i go and fonzie lost and just as fonzie was about to be taken off to Ork, richie cunningham woke up Mork and mindy was created and then Mork and mindy uh in one of their episodes said oh i've already been to earth once before let me tell you about it and it was when he visited laverne and shirley so that was one of the first i think official sort of series crossover episodes but anyway, as my introduction said, this this one will be better. But, but that all relates to beer because they worked in a brewery, and so exactly. we've
2: uh,
1: brought it back to the uh, to the to the now.
2: That was an nice. incredible, incredible just tail weaved there, Pete. I, I'm <laughs> impressed. I learned something. <laughs> uh, look, as the t-shirt
0: goes, uh, I drink beer and I know things. Um, my one very mild superpower is an inability to forget um, minutia and trivial kind of things, which which you know um, helps when you're hosting trivia nights and. Uh, winning bets in pubs but um, other than that not particularly useful. Uh, Speaking of news, I think we did, Um, today on this episode of Radio Brews News we will be looking at in no particular order but possibly uh, according to the run sheet we'll be looking at beer pricing. How much is too much for a beer both here and abroad? Uh, Two thousand and counting for British breweries. Gauge roads goes up and down and when is barrel ageing not really barrel ageing? And, or you will also, since we've got him here, get Luke's take on takeovers, gentlemen. Beer pricing. Uh, we saw this week on uh, the Facebook that uh, William Wilson, who's um, uh, fairly well known in the in the beer beers, uh, having operated his own uh, outlet until recently, uh, he's now working either the entertainment centre or one of those uh, in the sort of the the catering beverage side of things. Pointed out that uh, during Sydney Beer Week. At one particular venue, $25.50 for a schooner. So that's... Uh, uh, 4.25. 4.25 mils of um, Dog's Finest Punk IPA. Gentlemen. Probably need to add that they did
1: backpedal in the face of people calling. Well, mind you, a few people called and to, to check that, and they were told, yes, that pricing is correct. But after it seemed to go a little bit wild on Facebook, um, they said, so, oops, sorry, we miscalculated, and it's really only meant to be 13 Dollars a schooner, which still seems fairly steep. And so, whilst the uh, the original story is not quite what it was, um, I still think that yeah, there's a bit of an issue to talk about. How much is too much for beer? And you know, how how long do you think people are willing to pay thirteen dollars for? You know, a a brew dog IPA when you can get some very very good examples um, made by uh, Australian breweries for you know a a little bit less. And even then, how much is too much for for a good IPA?
0: Well, that's part of the discussion, I think, isn't it, that we, we're talking um, more about local now, whereas perhaps five, ten years ago we would have been saying, oh, you know, you'd expect to pay a bit more for a fully imported beer and, and something that's a bit rare and something that's a bit special that we're, we don't always get access to. That's certainly changed. And, Luke, you're probably of the three of us who I'm going to guess gets out a little bit more um, in terms of, of visiting retail uh, venues. Uh, is there a broad spectrum of pricing or...? Do, have we found that now that craft is a little bit more acceptable, people are saying, you know what, we can not gouge, but we can, we can charge a premium for a premium product?
2: I think there is a pretty broad spectrum, and I'm always kind of relieved going into places now and seeing, you know, they do quite often keep a, a really good lager or a really good pail for, you know, considerably less than, than $13 a schooner. And um, These days I, I would really struggle with any beer. You know that's going to be costing me that much because I know that I can just buy it at the bottle shop, for example. A you know, $26 will get you a six pack of punk IPA. So, am I really getting value for money getting it in a bar for, for $13? Uh, I don't really think I am. And I guess, you know, I've, I've been in places before where I've asked about a beer, and all they've told me is that it's expensive, it's not, you know, they haven't really sold me the beer. And if I'm paying, You know, $20 a a pint in some cases, I want the bar to sell it to me. I don't want them just kind of to dismiss it as being expensive beer. And, you know, if they're not offering a premium experience for $13 or $20, uh, then what's the point of of even having that beer in there when, as you said, you can get really good local IPAs for for a whole lot less? That's a a really good point. You know, uh,
1: when – I don't like to see people – Comparing, well, you can get twenty-six, twenty-seven dollars a six-pack at the bottle o. You know, why would I pay X at a at a bar? Because that's not always the the, the true equation. And you know, as, as Luke just said, you know, what value is the bar supplying? And I find it's often nicer to drink a beer in a pub, um, in 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 a good pub, because you do get some additional enjoyment um, from that expenditure at, at the pub. So it's not a direct correlation but mm. you know, a, a lot of the pubs are just putting beer on that's expensive um, and you've got plasma screens in the background. They've got the same old chicken wings and dude food that you can get anywhere else um, and you know, not offering much else apart from a couple of upturned milk crates, which again, it has its place in, in, in the right bar, but um, I'm certainly not going to be uh, willfully forking over money in, in,
2: in a fairly generic venue. Mm. Um, I had an experience a while back where we asked about a, it was a beer that didn't have a tap handle and we asked what it was and they pretty much just said, oh, it's a really expensive one. You don't want to get it. <laughs> that's staff training though, <laughs> isn't it? it, it, it that, that's less about beer pricing and more about staff training. Yeah, but it comes back to that point of, you know, I think it turned out to be a, maybe a double arrogant bastard from Stone but we actually sent two more people in there to ask the same question to see what the result was. That wasn't a uh,
1: Today Tonight Sting style thing where they, you were carrying cameras.
2: No, no, I wish it was. I wish we were that organised. But uh, we, yeah, and when we finally sort of learned what the beer was, we thought, well, it's probably, you know, it's fine to charge a bit more, but you're not really selling me the beer and you're not talking up the beer. So, you know, you could tell a good story about that beer and sell a lot of it, but if you're not putting a tap handle on and you're just, being, you know, telling people it's too expensive, then it kind of comes back to that experience of I don't feel like they value the beer as a customer. So why am I excited for the beer?
0: Yeah, I, th- I think another issue too that some venues probably need to look at is offering uh, a budget alternative. Uh, if that doesn't sound uh, cheapening it, uh, what I mean is that you look at that and you go, okay, I'm not going to pay, I don't want to pay $13 a schooner. Am I then forced to go, oh, I'll get a, a nice, easy drinking golden ale, Australian style pale ale, like you say, Luke, a nice, well a local made lager mm. but that's you know $11 or $10 like I think it's good to have that um, and Matt and I discussed this uh, last episode I think where pint seems to be the default setting if you if you don't specify a size I wanted to have two or three uh, you yeah. know pots or schooners um, and sort of you know try a couple of different beers now I'm going to kind of have to nurse this or drink it quickly so it doesn't go warm on me
2: yeah that's cheeky that bars do that I always and I've just kind of got into the habit of just asking for a small one because uh, these days it's hard to know what a, what a bar actually serves in terms of sizes you know here in melbourne it could be a potter, it could be a schooner or it could be who knows so i just say oh can i just get a small one to avoid always getting a pint because i don't want to drink a pint
0: yeah yeah at some point we allowed ourselves to accept that you know that that's the norm but i reckon yeah we listeners out there uh fight back um Matt, the next uh, related to beer pricing, Brewdog, interestingly, uh, came out this week and defended the price of um, uh, of their of their beer. Um, again, Luke, and take the advantage while while we've got you here, is is
2: Brewdog still cool? I don't know. I th- I think they still have some cachet with with people. Um, you know, certainly when they announced uh, that they were doing something in Australia, their the response was probably overwhelmingly positive on social media uh so i think they still inspire a kind of a um you know a following they kind of have that uh you know that branding which which sort of people want to attach themselves to so yeah i I think they're probably still calling away yeah i I think
0: the the best thing that Brewdog have done is they've managed to make punk last 10 times longer than the original punk music movement um did oh come on now pete i still go to punk shows (laughs)
2: <laughs> it's not like it used to
0: be, mate. It's not like, Peter and the Test Tube Babies and you know, the Damned and um, you'd, you'd be Richard, surprised, Richard Hell and the Voidoids. You know. You'd be
2: surprised the uh, five dollar shows at Squats around me happening every weekend. So if you, if you want to come along, I can take you to one.
0: There are so many. There are so many words in that sentence that scare me
1: <laughs> because I don't understand them. But, but, but Luke, look, for me, that's that, that, that's the number of the issue. You know, you're talking about this. Uh, you know, urban movement that is sort of springing up almost organically. That you know, it 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 it's a small little genuinely punk movement. You know, when you've got what was it, a hundred million dollars in private equity funding, um, you know, bankrolling your global tour is that still punk and do you still have that same, can you still claim that same pretensions of punk or are you more uh, a little bit new wave? Yeah, not (laughs) at all. They're
2: they're completely. Do you know what new wave is
1: Luke? Sorry. I do do not know what new wave is.
2: (laughs) Spandau ballet, Depeche mode. Um, Yeah. I mean, they're they're a corporation and the, the punk side of it is, is great marketing. Uh, you know, and I think I know people within the punk world do take issue with that marketing, but at the end of the day, um, it's worked for them. So, I don't know, good on them, I guess.
1: It, it, it always comes back to, and that, that's what I come back to for things like beer quality. You know, if it's selling, um, it doesn't matter what I think about it. You know, someone likes it and the, the, the business is still going. Um, but again, for the, the next step for that is, well, I actually think it has long-term damage um because it's telling people something that's a little bit untrue
2: yeah yeah i I'm actually surprised they they've kept doing that that style of marketing and, and using the word punk where they could probably back away from it quite slowly and and then not look as hypocritical when they have you know as you said private equity investment and they're a multinational company um if you just kind of rolled back the marketing and just you know, stop using that that term so much. Uh, it wouldn't look so bad, but
0: yeah, I did see James. What was saying? Um, that they're, they're about to launch the the fifth round of equity for punks, and those who have, um, had got shares in the first four apparently um, have seen quite a, a reasonable return on their investment or, or the value um, of, of those shares. Um, do you think, too, that uh, this next one, where they're hoping to use part of the money to expand into Australia um, and Asia, uh, but also to build in the UK a dedicated um, sour beer facility, do you think that will kind of, I guess, give them some more, uh, you know, craft cred? It's
2: hard to say. Um, yeah, I, I think it's hard to, I guess it's hard to speculate on, on things like that, because, you know, they, they do have that, that credibility with a lot of people still, um, but, you know, you, you kind of have to be doing something really interesting, even within the, the space of a sale facility now to to stand out, um, because, you know, you can get, as we said before, we can get really good local beers and, and really good local sours, and, um, you know, the Belgians are still pumping out and expanding uh, the lambic producers. So, uh, you know, you, you have to do it really well to stand out in that space, and, and that might stand out to, to a large group of the uh, group of the market. But, um, yeah, we'll see how it goes, I guess.
0: Yeah, well, BrewDog is just one of um, what is now more than 2,000 breweries in the UK. Uh, more than 300 new breweries were launched in the UK last year as a boom in craft beer sales encouraged startups with specialist offerings ranging from gluten-free beer to ale made from leftover bread. Um, this craft thing seems to have legs in it, Matt.
1: Yeah, mate, it's something that we've talked about you know, in the US, the, the number of craft breweries, we've talked about it here, and uh, there's certainly a, a lot in the, uh, in the UK. Um, one of the stories that hasn't come out that I think we've also touched on is that the way that the excise in the, U, in the UK works is that a lot of these breweries are starting small, but then it almost becomes crippling if they grow. Um, because if they go over a certain level, then their excise suddenly jumps. And so they, their volume needs to jump significantly um, for them to remain as profitable as they were as a smaller brewery. And uh, that's actually been described as being almost like a, a craft beer ghetto in some quarters. So but like anywhere, it's great to see that it's, it's onwards and upwards. But, you know, you still have to just wonder how many are going to be around in four or five years.
0: I think it sounds a little bit of a, a warning for um, particularly Australian brewers who are looking at you know getting into the the English market because if it's uh, unless you're growing your drinking market at about the same rate as you're growing your brewery market, um, yeah, like you say, uh, basic economics tells you something's got to give.
1: Yeah, well, yeah, and uh, you know it, it, it's one of those things. There's a there's a whole lot of um you know very boring and very subtle factors at play in the industry you know we've we've seen a huge expansion on the back of uh discovery of craft beer and that's been largely driven by hops and no one would have gotten excited or the, the beer market wouldn't have been as changed as drastically as it has just because breweries started making Kirsch or brewery started making golden ales. Um, what's really driven it is the, the, the very exciting, you know, highly hopped beers or, you know, very sour beers or, you know, barrel aging and extreme beers that still are relevant to a fairly small end of, of the craft beer market. Um, and I think that whilst that's opened the market for a lot of people, we are starting to see the the biggest growth in some of the the, the more mundane craft beers. And do you really need 450 breweries in the country um, in Australia or 2,000 in in the UK making session ales in, in in their various forms? And for me, that's where we're going to see a lot of the the crush coming because. Um, some breweries are going to get a little bit bigger um, and they're going to get the benefits of scale. Um, and so their beer will become, uh, you know, just profitably cheaper um, as opposed to uh, artificially cheaper the, the way that there are stories in the market. But um, and we don't need, you know, I, I, I just don't see a growing market for 450 breweries all with barrel aging programs or all with highly hopped IPAs. And I think that's where the the, the crunch is going to be no. because um you know sending beers across the country sending you know there's only so much shelf space um people are becoming more price aware um of, of beers and i think they're some of the things that are going to influence the market longer term
0: yeah and it's probably fair to say that where the big hobby beers the big uh the sours the barrel aged all that sort of thing probably does a great job in selling the sizzle of of independent beer uh, it doesn't necessarily, like you say, sell a lot of steak in terms of volume, um, whereas it's the it, it is those um, and I touched on it before. Part of my issue too with going to a lot of venues is sometimes you'll see all these great exciting beers, but you know what? When I go in there, I just want to start off with a, a palate cleanser or a, you know, like a, a refresher, uh, just something nice, clean. While my while my palate is fresh, I want to try. Oh, yeah, I wouldn't mind trying a you know something lighter, brighter. Um, Sort of thing, and and a lot of places just they don't have that, or they might have a you know a, a single token offering. Mm. Um, I, I think that's probably where we need to perhaps work on it. And and you're right too, Matt. And I, I think we have touched on this a lot of times before. But um, do we need to look at okay, instead of sending you know becoming a wholesaler, perhaps you know the brew pub model um, is becoming more and more uh, you know increasingly relevant.
1: Yeah, well, again, but as as I I'm conscious that the brew pub model actually causes problems for a lot of the craft beer bars um, because it takes some of the oxygen out of out of that market. So, you know, when you've got brew pubs that have got their own core range plus their own you know extreme or barrel or whatever range, but then they often have a couple of guest taps and wine and spirits why would you then go to one of the pubs? And that goes back to what I was saying about um, beer pricing. But I was actually really interested to hear Luke say that he doesn't enjoy a pint because I dare say that his um, drinking habits are a little bit more adventurous than than mine have become. You know, I've sort of moderated down from probably drinking more of the session beers than the IPAs. But it was interesting to hear Luke say that he doesn't like drinking out of pints either. Um, and that's a, a big trend, Um if we do see that spreading across the market, because if you're selling a half litre pint of beer, there's only hundred sales you need to drain the keg. But if you're selling a um, schooner um, or even a pot, you know, you're getting up to 180, 190 sales to turn a keg over. And if people are having you know, one schooner or one pot of this, um, one pot of that, one pot of that, then it's much slower to turn over some of these kegs, which is another increasing issue for bars.
2: Hmm. Yeah, I mean, for me, and um, I think Ross touched on it as well, is I want to maybe have two or three beers while I'm there, and, and a pint kind of kills that off straight away. Uh, and normally, I'll, yeah, if, if there's a few fun taps or beers that I want to try, yeah, the, the smaller the better, and then if I if I want to settle in and have a chat, then I, I might go for a pint. I guess the amount of breweries and the amount of stock turnover is a huge one, and I'm definitely finding more and more, um, you know, bars I go to, and they've got you know 20 taps, and the beer that I want I want the most is probably going to be the oldest one in there, and and you know if you order and you get a, a bad experience, um, it's, you know, I guess it's uh, they're not you know they're not turning that beer over, and you've suddenly paid as we've talked about before a lot of money for, for a bad experience um, versus the brew pub where I I know that it's kind of probably going to be a lot fresher because you're just moving through that, that one beer. So, um, you know, I think in terms of the amount of breweries and, and the amount of market space, it's, it's just hard to know, I guess, what what people are buying what's going to be moving and how that's going to look in, in five years. Uh, because if we're going in and, and paying 20 bucks a pint and it doesn't taste great, then we're going to go back to the things we, we usually quite like, and that's, you know, the big-name breweries, even in the craft space, you know, your stoner woods and your pirate Lights um who we know are moving stock and it's going to be a lot fresher so you know i guess there's so many layers to it that it's um yeah it's an interesting one
1: it 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 is but that's where you know it, it comes back to the experience and i think and you know fashions change and you know the types of pubs we drink in today were different from the types of pubs we drank in 10 years ago and you know 20 years ago they were very different again and the entertainment value of just drinking in 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 a brewery is is something that people enjoy i mean you you whether it's a big venue like uh the little creatures plant or if you go to the two birds brewery or if you go to green beacon in in brisbane or uh, newstead brewing in brisbane there is something entertaining that's in addition to just getting the beer you know there's just that emotional feeling you get from drinking in the shadow of the brewery which uh we might even touch base on uh a little bit later, Luke, and um, yeah, yeah, which justifies the price, and it justifies you leaving home um, to to do it. But in turn, that's going to put pressure on um, a lot of the pubs that have built their name around craft beer, because how do they then compete with that? attraction of of drinking the brewery and uh, if if they lose some of their market share and we start seeing them closing then wholesale outlets are closing for some of the big regional breweries so it will all be self-evident as an afterthought or in hindsight um, exactly what the pressures were and it's always hard to work out what the important levers are beforehand but I think we are seeing a whole lot of changing dynamics uh, going on in the beer market that are going to have some very subtle effects but uh, some profound effects longer term.
2: Mm.
0: Yeah, and moving on to our next story, one uh, move that's not particularly subtle. Um, Gage Roads has reported a 63% earnings increase for the 2016-2017 financial year. 63% of that, their single fin summer ale grew 62% over the prior year, so it's now the second highest individual um, selling brand. So there's that. There's that. That sessionable, and interestingly, we we're talking to uh, Dave Benighton and Ian Morgan from uh mountain goat last week who said their summer ale they now wish they had called it something other than summer ale because whilst it's one of their big performers um behind steam ale um the sales increase during um during summer Ah,
1: of course okay so they've put it into a seasonal category when it otherwise might not be just because of the name
0: yeah exactly yeah yeah because it's it's that hop forward um a beautiful showcase of, of of galaxy um yeah i've had many during summer and think oh this is great but i've also had some year round where i sort of go this is a just a really nice uh you know subtle beer with a little bit of nuance and a a nice sort of aroma um you know that lifted hop aroma um interesting perhaps wa is, is different because it's it's uh there's more summer more of the year perhaps but um yeah that's an interesting and i think Part of the story, James Atkinson covered it beautifully, go across to uh, Australian Brewers News and check out the story, that the volumes are down, but profits are up. So I think um, it, one section of the, the business sort of didn't produce as much beer, but um, obviously um, they're, they're doing pretty well in terms of, um, of the value to shareholders.
1: They're making more on branded product and making much less, uh, you know, for, for Woolworths under their contract, which they made
0: less money on. That's the Australian quality beverages, isn't it? Yeah, yeah.
1: So, I mean, look, I've got a real soft spot for Gay Roads because, you know, they, they've been around a long time and for a while they were one of the, they, they're about the only national craft player, um, but they always struggled with the whole, it was almost as if they built a brewery that was much too big, much too soon. Um, which is the reverse of what every other brewery seems to be complaining of these days. Um, and as a result, they've, they've struggled to, to make it work. They've struggled with distribution and everything, but the, the, they have been there and they're, they're still around. And so you know, I'm really pleased to see that they're doing quite well um, and that their beers are very, very solid and, uh, you know, o- occupy a nice place. Um, but you know, beyond that, it's just a brewery that suffers for not being all of that sexy or interesting or you know, any of those other things.
2: It is interesting, you know, the, the kind of the, the buyback and, and how that fits back into the market and almost rebuilding that brand away from being associated as a supermarket brand into something that, you know, is an independent brewery doing really good beers. Um, I think Little Dove is probably one of my favourite beers when you can get it fresh and, you know, yep. knowing you can get it at a Dan Murphy's. Um, you know, they, there's a lot of, I guess, a good foundation to that, to that brand for sure and, um, you yeah, know, hopefully they can, they can keep making it work. And also, pause for
1: thought for big breweries. Uh, you know, Lion pulled out of there, they closed the brewery down. The the Western Australian state brands suddenly were brewed at Cascade or South Australia, um, and it let somebody like Road move in and come to be identified as our, you know, regional um, brand. and Local brand, yeah. Yeah, you, you can never get away from that. I mean, there was a, an idiot politician in Queensland uh, who... Was quite Can you a be play- a
0: little, little bit more specific, Matt?
1: <laughs> uh, I mate, it was some idiot conservative politician. I, I, <laughs> I could find it for you if uh, if you give me a second. But he's a state senator who wanted to uh, speak up that the, the government should do something to protect poor old Lion from CB <laughs> coming in unfairly uh, taking tap contracts. Um, and you know that it, it it had to be just a pure. You know, Donald Trumpish play to stupid people's um, you know emotional uh, leanings because um, Forex still has that. You know, I'm not knocking Forex in that, but it's uh, Forex. You know, is is a brand that could be made in any brewery in the country, but still claims the vestiges of being a state brand. Um, and there was a bit of a furor earlier in the year when it, the the unions leaked that Lion was considering closing the brewery, um, and and it did create a, a whole hullabaloo.
0: It does show the importance, though. Yeah, of we, we are still, you know, a, a, a united Commonwealth and you know the the wide brown land. But at the end of the day, whether it's uh, across, you know, football or um, you know cultural or events, um, everyone still likes to to support, you know, their own their own state. There's, there's a lot of state-based loyalties, and I think Gage Roads is a great example that you pointed out, Matt, of of really sort of capturing that kind of element.
1: Mm, and, and their football, uh, you know, their stadium sponsorship deal can only play into that. You know, the, the more that they're seen as the sort of state brand and uh, as much as people are moving towards drinking locally, I don't think that we're ever going to move away. You know, there are always going to be the, the, the large brands um, in, in any market. So, yeah, you no know, good luck to Gage Roads for uh, moving into that space and, you know, I suspect that the, the big brewers will be uh, sort of watching how they can, if they can't be local, how they can always maintain the appearance of being local.
0: Yeah, another brewery that has uh, attracted a little bit of attention, mostly negative, is uh, one of the brands from the UK that got me into beer and food matching. Particularly was, uh, and that's Innocent Gun. And they're uh, barrel aged beer. So, uh, um, and the story goes, and I don't know how true it is. We might need to uh, tap into Martin Cornell and uh, and get confirmation on this. But I do believe that it was uh, perhaps Grant's whiskey who wanted to they wanted to to uh, season some barrels with beer just to see what effect it had on the uh, on the whiskey. And of course, you know, Scott's being good. Scott's going, yeah, you, you know you're going to tip that down the gutter, yeah. They're just going to basically make a, get a, a cheap and cheerful sort of beer and see what 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 effect it had on the barrel. But instead of tipping the beer out, they thought, well, we'll just tap that off and just see what happens. And, oh, actually, you know, it's picked up a little bit of the, the whiskey side of things. Whether or not that's how the story uh, started, for sure, I don't know. But um, they've now been called out because, well, hang on, are you barrel aging or are you using um, oak chips? And it turns out that perhaps now or for a while they have been using oak chips. Is that bar- can you call that barrel aging?
1: Well, apparently legally you can because there's no definition of barrel aging. But I think that when people picture barrel aging, you know, it, it's designed to very clearly represent beer that has spent, you know, some time in yeah. You know, well, actually, age with between barrel and aging some considerable period of time in a barrel where they've just been breaking up the barrels, charring them and washing the, the, the beer over the stave to wood taint them, essentially, um, which is, you know, it, it, it may replicate some of the characteristics, but it certainly gives a different emotional tie to the process. And so, uh, yeah, it, it is one of those things that even if they get away with it and as they say that, um, you know, they don't hide the fact that this is what they're doing, whilst it's, the headline is barrel aging, they do make it clear about how they do it. Um, I you know, I just sort of think that that's a little bit weasel wordish, you know if you if you say bar- barrel aging, um you know I'm sure there's something else that's a little bit similar sounding but isn't actually coming out saying barrel aging.
0: yeah, I did notice some somebody on Facebook pointed out that uh, you know perhaps uh, brewed on oak or uh, you know with oak rather than in oak might have been um, yeah, the way to get around that.
2: This came up a while back as well because you know they've always. Done oak chips, and I think they've done some barrel aging. But I remember looking on their website, and they had a, a pretty detailed rundown of the process, um, and whether or not the process was a good one or not. I remember looking at it and thinking, well, they're actually pretty transparent in terms of you know they, they were calling it oak aged, and then you could go to their website and there was literally a flowchart of what they were doing. Um, I haven't read the, the current claims and the, and the current you know bust up, but. You know, there is probably an element of deceptiveness there, where they, you know, are being a little bit vague. But when you actually dig into it a bit further, yeah, there is, there was uh, really good information out there. So,
0: Mm.
1: but again, it's it's one of those things. I think that you shouldn't expect uh, beer is a convenience product. It's a fast-moving consumer good, as the marketers like to tell us. You don't want to stand in your bottle shop having to Google the accuracy of barrel age (laughs) on um, when you do it. And I think, you know, oak aged and barrel aged, oak aged might hint at the process, but barrel aged comes out and says, yes, we put it into barrels.
2: Not some chips that used to be part of a barrel. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of other brewers do it as well. Um, You know, you see the oak aged or aged on oak. um, And that's, you know, that's always an indicator that it's oak chips. And I guess there are many ways to to skin a cat. You know, what if it, Tastes good at the end of the day, then does it really matter?
1: But isn't that the argument that's used to um, excuse a whole lot of shitty marketing behaviour? Yep,
0: <laughs> fair enough. Yeah, uh, don't start him on booze again. For
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, there's something else that Luke's uh, sort of uh, pinged me on about this week, so we will get to that, but uh, not in a, an ugly way. But yeah, no, I, I appreciate what you're saying, Luke. And on, on, on one argument, uh, it's exactly right. But that's that's the thin edge of the wedge when you when you come at that because um, barrel age has a very distinct meaning oak aged or aged on oak um, is that sort of slightly watered down um, version of it with that is a more accurate description of the process
0: mm. and it, it does too, guys. it does highlight the, um, the importance of whatever you're gonna do make sure you get it right because this this issue uh, and some of the others that we've discussed highlight how social media will expose you it, it's just it's just too easy now for people uh, even if they're you know, the, Time poor people don't have the time to sit and Google, but at home, you know, you're, you're researching or you're having a look at something, or somebody, you know, p- p- pop something up onto your your feed, and all of a sudden, um, you know, everybody's sharing, and and uh, those sort of stories can really sort of, um, you know, take on a life of their own. Luke, we might um, move on to your take
2: on um, on the takeovers. Just just before we do, I've just brought up yeah. a photo of their, their new range, and they do have barrel aged on the front, so. And from memory playing. too, their,
0: their their actual logo is 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 it three barrels stacked? Yeah, something like
2: that. Yeah. Um, so you're explicitly stating so that's that's why it's come up again. So yeah, that is definitely fudging things a bit more than you you should.
0: Yeah. So a cautionary tale. Be be careful because you know somebody will find out. Um, mm. Luke, tell us what what have you found out? Um, what did you what's your take on the uh, the whirlwind that has been um, brewery takeovers
2: in the last couple of weeks? Um, I think the interesting thing is if you were to look at, you know, the, the, the dominant uh, nationally distri- distributed craft beer brands now, uh, it seems to be people are getting to a point of your Mountain Goat and your Four Pines where if you are in that space, you know, maybe you need to get some bigger support. Uh, you know, when you look at, you know, the, the people in that, when you get to that tier and, and obviously Faro as well, um, maybe they do need investment or maybe they don't have that management to, to sustain that, you know, that, that big level of of distribution and, and, and growth ongoing um, because there's not many independent players in that space now where, you know, two or three years ago there, there were all those guys. Um, so other than, say, Pirate Life or Stone and Wood, now you, it's all owned by one of the majors. So it is an interesting one in terms of, how it looks for the Australian market going, going long term, you know, is there going to be a great divide between nationally distributed ban- brands that are, all have big money behind them and then your, your local brands that, you know, are just going to stick to the craft bars? Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, uh, we are not lacking for choice. So even if you don't support buyouts and you don't want to buy a feral beer ever again you can still get a really good beer, um, independent beer or or more independent beer, and and a big part of that was these brands that, you know, did the hard work for the last few years. So, um, yeah, it is what it is. Yeah, another point
0: that um, has kind of slipped under the radar a little bit, it popped up um, with uh, when Lyon was um, politely asked to leave the clubhouse um, that is now the the IBA, Uh, and a lot of people were sort of lamenting, yeah, I kind of get, yeah, that, the whole independent thing yes we we can't sort of uh, you know be a little bit pregnant so if we're going to say we're going to be independent then we've got to be fully independent but it's that loss of um you know the the hive mind the um the the, the collective knowledge of of brewing that we perhaps don't have that access uh, access to uh, and certainly with four pines and especially with feral um that probably comes into sharp focus
2: i guess it's what you know? Are, are we losing their their knowledge? Like I, you know, knowing Brendan, I, I can't imagine he never wants to help out another brewery again. Um, so you know, I, I don't know if that knowledge is still there, and it's not like they're not going to be allowed to talk to anyone again. So um, I can. Sort of no, but I guess I guess what I'm looking
0: at is, um, do we do we have? That access to, and I guess our, you know, the the key event in terms of um, of sharing the knowledge would be the craft brewers conference or the you know the independent brewers conference. Do those guys feel as welcome to to I guess come along and present um, as, uh, uh, or uh, you know, as they would have um, when they were in the club? I'd hope so.
1: <laughs> Although it does smack a little bit of hypocrisy. Um, we we don't want you to be part of our club, but we want you to come and fix our shutters.
2: Yeah. I mean, isn't the point of the the association to, you know, get all the, the brewers that don't have access to the, the big marketing um, to, to, you know, achieve something as a collective group? And once you have the, the support of a, a big multinational behind you, you probably don't need that as much.
1: Yeah, although, the, the, see, that I've had some interesting conversations about this uh, exact point, and I don't think I've heard – two people agree on what the purpose of the IBA is. Um, it, it seems to be unanimously uh, agreed that it shouldn't be, it shouldn't have to do the marketing function for individual breweries because it can never market for a disparate group of uh, breweries. And, uh, you know, someone like Ben Krause, on the one hand, is very good at marketing himself and then some of the other brands probably aren't. So the IBA, seemed, it, so the thinking goes, shouldn't be a marketing agency for small independent brewers. But then my argument is, well, if it's not a, if it's not at least marketing the idea of independence, um, what good is served by removing the big brewers then?
0: Yeah. Uh, maybe, maybe this is something that we, uh, we might uh, reach out to Ben Coyman um, or Chris McNamara perhaps and and perhaps get the IBA's uh, view on, okay, you know, where to from here? Um, how do we adjust? Do we, you know, do we almost need to have, you know, a, an associate membership that's um you know people who used to be in the club who used to be allowed but no longer or i don't know funnily
1: enough that was uh my suggestion before they uh that they went ahead that yeah there is a second tier membership for for brewers that don't have a board seat um but you know see value in being associated uh with it in a in a way that doesn't compromise
0: you know this this view of independence but anyway you know yeah i think that's a good idea prof yeah well let's see how we go with that That's pretty much all we've got uh, on the news front side of things. Just just before you do, I
1: just want to pick up on two of the things that Luke's mentioned. Uh, He's probably the most socially active uh, person that I know on on Twitter. Um, Luke, did you get an answer to uh, only drink beer in the shadow of the brewery? You you, you tweeted uh, wondering where that saying came from.
2: Yeah, no, everyone sort of gave pretty vague answers of, I think it's a German, you know, a German saying, um, which was my impression, but... Where it originates from is seems to be a bit of a mystery, uh, and you know whether or not it's just something that people have always said and no one knows. But someone to me, someone suggested to me that it sounds like a slogan, you know, from fifty years ago that kind of got picked up and moved around.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, again, as I um, replied, I was in Bavaria last year, and I had three different brewers um, use that um, when I talked about scale and size and regionality and some of those things. Um, because every small town has at least one brewery and their, their beer is only available within 20 miles. Um, and w- w- without hearing the words that you said, which seems to be an Australian interpretation, because I've gone looking for that answer before, but ha- having heard three different brewers say, We drink beer around the chimney, um, which is apparently the same thing. You know, where you can see the chimney, you drink the brewery's beer. Um, so it does seem to be a very much like just
2: one of those German or Bavarian sayings. Mmm. Hmm. um yeah, I'll, I'll keep keep digging away. There's a famous wine saying that's quite often attributed or, or used similarly, um, and it's from Latin. And it's in wine, there is truth. Mm. Um, and there's a lot of variations. There there is fortitude. Um, yeah. So. And in and in spirits after one a.m. There's nothing but trouble. <laughs> <laughs> um. And, like, so there was a suggestion that it kind of evolved from that, but they are slightly different. So I don't know. Um, The wine one has its own Wikipedia page, so maybe if I can find some good evidence for the origins, I can uh, put beer on that same level.
0: (laughs) I I must admit it just sounded to me like something that would have sounded really cool in German. So perhaps that's why I'm assuming that it's a... Plus, it's got to come from a, um, a beer culture that has, you know, 700 breweries per head of population in, in every small town. And it just doesn't sound as cool to say drink fresh, drink local, does it? Yeah.
2: Now there knows. I'd love to, or has an idea of where to look, I'd love to know, so.
0: All right, well, listeners, uh, get on board, help Luke out. If anyone knows the origin of the term, always drink beer in the shadow of the brewery. But in terms of things
1: that do sound better in German than they do in English, uh, I found a a, a note that I sent about a decade ago that was a photo of a Kaiser-looking gentleman and it was written in Germany over the city gates. Um, And I I haven't been able to verify the authenticity of it, but I'll uh, try and do that before the show notes go up. But when you translate the story, it says, um, no shitting in the creek on Wednesday because on Thursday we brew. Um, (laughs) So it sounded much better in German. It does. (laughs) One other thing while we've got, Luke, is booze. Your thoughts?
2: Oh, on the word booze? Yes yeah i uh, I use it because it's really good shorthand for uh, you know if if I'm writing about a bar that has many good things, um, you can kind of almost use it tongue- in cheek to to encompass you know they've got they've got great booze kind of a thing. Uh, but your discussion on it did give me pause to think about the the term and what it i guess what it conjures. but yeah i I'm not sure. i sometimes I think I, I really like it, and other times I agree with you. so. But again, uh,
1: words change, and uh, you know, we, as as Prof and I delight in uh, saying, you're much younger than us, and so maybe there's a generational change where uh, you know a, a younger demographic are giving that
0: word a completely different meaning. There's probably also a little bit to the the context. So, booze in and of itself is you know it's either playful, like Jade says, or it's it's demeaning, like Matt says, but. Mm. I think part of it is when you're, uh, and we take again the example of the the cool uh, out on the street, out on the road sales rep, who's talking about slinging booze or, you know, I shifted a lot of booze or that kind of, is it the slinging? Is it the shifting? And I had a, a beer with, with Jade uh, the day after we recorded and she sort of said, yeah, look, my, perhaps it's the, I have an issue with the word slinging, you know, rather than with the mm. word booze. Mm. Yep. And so and and it, is within, within the context of it all being a bit cool and sort of, uh, I guess, downplaying what it is that I do because um, I'm I'm too cool to sort of say, look, I'm really excited about being involved in, um, you know, the uh, sharing with consumers and advocating for, uh, you know, good uh, beverages, which doesn't sound nearly as good as I'm slinging
2: booze. Slinging booze, quality booze. One of the things, uh, if you think of kind of modern versions of speakeasies now where you're you know getting 30 dollars cocktails and they have really good wine and beer and it's that kind of cool uh throwback to to you know the the american style the word booze kind of works in that context because it's that um you know speakeasy connotation
0: yeah smoky or when when we used to be able to have smoky venues yeah
2: so so you know we've got we've got fine booze uh and, and that kind of connotation works but when you're slinging booze and it's you just, you know, another cog in the big messy world, it's the alcohol world, yeah, it's probably a bit different. There we go.
1: And that's the last time we shall ever talk of it.
2: Yeah, <laughs> I'll stop tagging you on tweets now. <laughs> <laughs>
0: No, no, it was, it was interesting. Now, before we do go, listeners, uh, we did tease you last week with the promise that uh, Matt was going to catch up with uh, Ash Cranston, formerly of Little Creatures, now with a new project. Uh, Matt, you got to
1: catch up with Ash. Ash, I did. And anyone who's been to Brisbane will know that you've got the CBD and you've got the Riverside Centre that looks out over the Story Bridge. Um that runs from Kangaroo Point across to the, the start of the valley, um, and underneath there used to be wharves. That was where all of the uh, sail ships used to tie tie up, and it was been disuse, used since the '60s. And uh, there's a major redevelopment going in there, including a brewery. Um, and uh, suffice it to say, it's going to be the the whole complex is going to be huge, um, with restaurants, uh, festival, but um, you know, open space. Um, uh, you know, uh, function venues um, and and the, the, this brewery um, that talking about the cultural terroir that beer sits in, sitting under the Story Bridge, looking back across the city through you know along the river, is just about perfect for Brisbane's subtropical climate, and I think it is, uh, you know, going to completely change the uh, city centre of um, Brisbane and really take the gravity of the city back towards um, that. That end of the city, which is uh, going to be very interesting, almost uh, you know Southbank um, or you know Docklands style development or um, Darling Harbour in Sydney. It's it's going to be that sort of thing on a smaller scale, but still significantly change uh, Brisbane. So yeah, and no, I'm going. To, it's going to be very interesting to see how that goes and the sorts of beers that they're um, going to be putting out. Sounds like a, a
0: pretty a pretty cool sort of yeah, activity centre. What um is there a timeline for either the like is the development going to be all all done and then opened and August twenty eighteen
1: okay. uh, yeah um the brewery will just looking at the footprint the brewery can't be huge um I think it's they, they said twenty five Heck um brew house um, but they they do want to sell off site but. Looking at how big the site is, and that the whole area is going to be licensed, so you can pretty much grab a beer and stroll through the uh, through the area. Right,
0: Matt. When you say they, are we at liberty to divulge who they are at this point?
1: I don't believe that they've got a back. They've got a background in property development, um, so they're not actually involved in brewing or hospitality so much at the moment. It's uh, yeah, just a a, a business. Um, has, has bought the site and it, it's taken four or five years for them to get the planning approvals and everything that they want. So right. it, it has been hanging around for a while and there's always been a brewery attached to the site. Um, and I'd sort of thought for some time, until I met with Ash and sort of just saw the scale of the, the whole project in total, um, had thought, oh, maybe they've missed the boat. They're a little going to be a little bit late to market for a little, little brew pub. But this isn't a little brew pub. It's part of a you know, very uh, large... Um, you know, city-defining uh, development. So, yeah, no, it's going to be very, very exciting. And does it have a name as yet? Uh, it does. I don't think I'm at liberty to say uh, what the name is yet.
0: No worries. No, that's why I, I just wasn't sure. So we'll, uh, we'll watch this space, keep an eye out. Um, and hopefully, uh, I'm sure, uh, as I alluded to in my intro, a poly-award-winning journalist like yourself presumably will be there somewhere in or around opening time. So perhaps we can uh, tee up a bit of a chat, um for uh beer as a conversation yeah and no, i think that's a great idea no worries at all speaking of beer as a conversation this week matt can you uh fill us in we've got uh, a pretty good episode i guess for the uh the more technical uh side uh, of our listenership
1: uh yes uh last week i caught up with uh, owen johnson as i alluded to last week um yeah in- interesting times for for this notion of craft beer um and i was making rabbit's ears with my fingers as i said that um that, you know, small, independent, traditional independence has uh, been given a bit of a shake um, in Australia this year. But also, what does traditional mean? You know, uh, breweries that use tetrahops um, as a bittering agent, you know, post-fermentation um, is, is sneered at. Um, use of cane sugar is sneered at. Um, sure. have a chat to OJ about, um, you know, advanced hop products, the sorts of products that are processed hops where you can just take the aroma um, from... Uh, a variety of hops and you know dial up your fragrance of your beer without adding bitterness and you know in in a much more controllable way um you can add bitterness um you can prevent uh you know foaming um in in the kettle or in in the fermenter um with extracts from hop products um you can promote foaming in the bottle with uh, certain uh, hop products as well so um and apparently we are starting to see some uh you know People who identify themselves as craft brewers starting to use these products, and so uh, have a bit of a chat with OJ about what they are, and also what they mean to the uh, greater philosophy of brewing, because it's, it's increasingly going to become uh, a, a, an issue as small brewers start to, um, you know, grow and uh, look at consistency of their product or looking at uh, you know palatability of their product. Uh, some of the modern enhanced techniques that they can use to to get there.
0: Yeah, and always uh, a great. Like to have a chat with OJ. He tells the story so well, uh, and comes from such a, a broad knowledge base in terms of starting out as a brewer, then getting into the you know the sales and marketing and the the more technical side of things uh, at Hob Products Australia. And we yeah, should and point out too that Hob Products Australia are a, a sponsor of, of Australian Brews News. Yes.
1: yes, yes, no, they are. But at the same time, as you know, uh, ringing the uh, Alan Jones bell here, any time that we um, <laughs> have a chat with uh, somebody like that, um, you know, it, it is. No holds barred, you know. We we need to be able to ask the questions that we want to ask, including, you know, are these uh, things craft? Um, so yeah, so I certainly get to ask those questions, and uh, you know, the, the great thing about OJ is he, you know, tackles them head on.
0: Yeah. So listeners, once you get to the end of this, uh, you can pop over to Beer is a Conversation and listen to Matt's chat with OJ.
2: Just uh, one point on the the idea of you know uh, different ingredients is uh, the beer still traditional? Uh, many people tell you that the St. Bernardus beer is the original West Vlaterin recipe. I'm one of those. Uh, are you going to burst my bubble? Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know. It depends. I mean, to get bittering and... and oh, they, they use tetrahops. Yeah. Yeah. They they literally just punch a, a tin of, of, you know, hop goos, I think they described it, and then throw it into the boil. So... I don't know if they
1: were doing that 150 years ago. Ah, but West Vleteren isn't a 150 year old uh, recipe either. Like that's that's, oh, one 100, 100 of, yeah, that, that, that's one of the great myths of. Yeah, uh, that's one of the great myths we all associate. We, we might have to do a podcast about Belgian beer. Damn, um, get some Belgian beer experts because if you look at something like Chimay Blue, for example, I mean, it it only dates back to post Second World War. If I'm not wrong there um and it's you know regards one of the, the, the great classics and the um belgians are always um reformulating their, their beers and they don't have quite the same hang-ups um but my understanding is that the that yeah so so it was the original recipe because at the end of the second world war they took it over from the west flettering brewery which had been destroyed by the germans and brewed it under license until 1992 when west Fletcherin took it back um, mm. And uh, they, they were able to keep making it, and but they claim that it is even more original than modern West Fletcheron because they still use the same well water that made it famous.
2: Yeah, well, I, yeah, I always kind of question that in terms of it's not they're I mean, probably not using the same malt or the same no, they're not using the same hops. So at what point? But that's obviously a, a whole different discussion. But
1: VB is made to the same recipe that it was a hundred and something years ago. I don't
2: know.
0: water, malt, uh, hops, and yeast. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Painting it with a very, a very broad brushstroke. <laughs> yes.
2: And, and I, I don't want to knock St Bernardus always West later and I really enjoy both beers, so so no one take it as that.
1: Oh, no, but uh, again, I mean, that's a great point, Luke. You know, they, they don't seem to be hung up on using sugar, for example, and um, and it, mm. it all comes down to not re- removing flavour from beer, but finding balance and uh, complexity in the beer. And, uh, you know, as, as I say to OJ, you um, when the thermometer was first used, the, the brewer that started using that, his family was traditional and they sort of didn't like him using a thermometer because they didn't see it as being uh, traditional. Um, and uh, I, I don't think any brewer would now nowadays argue against using a
0: thermometer. Mm. Yeah, well, I think we've uh, managed to achieve both balance and complexity in today's episode of Radio Brews News. Matt, thanks very much for joining us. Always a pleasure, Prof. And Luke, a very special thanks for uh, coming along as a guest presenter, uh, a guest co-host while James is, uh, well, I don't know whether he's sunning himself in Japan, because I'm guessing it's kind of getting into the snowy season up there, but uh, I'm sure he's uh, having fun and he'll be listening to this. So we, uh, we, shout out to James and a big thank you to Luke for, uh, for sitting in his
2: stead. Thank you so much for having me. Always, uh, always a pleasure.
0: That's all right. We have been talking about doing a, you know, the 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 crossover episode. We tried to get one up uh, with yourself and Dave during Good Beer Week, um, or during Gabs, I think, two two years ago, maybe, and yeah. we just couldn't get the 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 planets to align. But uh, so we've 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 gone as as far as we can. We have got you, uh, one half of Ale of a Time, and we should also, uh, you know, throw a shout out to Ale of a Time podcast. When you are finished listening to to Radio Bruce News, pop over and uh, pick up Ale of a Time. A cracking good listen. Uh, we might, in, um, in with respect to Luke, we might see if we can get a like a thrash metal version of uh, "Roll Out the Barrel" to uh, to close the show. <laughs> and on that note, we will close the show by saying thank you very much to our listeners for listening. Thanks to our sponsors for supporting us, and we'll see you all again next week. And just on that note, Prof, uh, we've just had
1: word that our good friends at Brewpack have you know loved the show so much they've continued to uh, to support us, which is a great thanks to uh, to, to Brewpack.
0: Terrific. Thank you to Brewpack. We'll see you all next week. Thanks, guys. And we're out.